This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Galley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting into this week's top headlines. The state is seeing another COVID surge, but public health officials are wading through murky data in their efforts to respond to the virus. And at the State House, Republicans are seeking to block local enforcement of federal gun laws amid renewed calls for reform. And some New Hampshire school districts have been inundated with right-to-know requests, many of them related to hot-button political and social issues. Joining us now to talk about all of that and more are NHPR reporters Todd Bookman and Ali Pham. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Rick. Todd, let's start with you. Folks across the country are again calling for stricter gun laws after this week's shooting at an elementary school in Texas. Here in New Hampshire, Republicans have passed a bill that would prohibit any state or local law enforcement from enforcing any federal gun laws. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So this bill, as written, prohibits uh, state and local law enforcement from enforcing any federal gun laws that are inconsistent with state gun laws. So in practice, supporters say this would um, apply to something like a a ban on semi-automatic rifles, uh, age restrictions on certain weapons, Uh, ghost guns or or new executive order surrounding something like a high capacity magazines. Uh, This legislation would not stop federal law enforcement, think the FBI from enforcing these provisions within New Hampshire. And um, we should clarify that this bill has been in the works for months and in fact um, was attempted, uh, but ultimately died in the, in the state house last year as well. Uh, Supporters say, you know, this is a way to, to muzzle the federal government from weakening second amendment rights uh, opponents, Democrats would counter, you know, that this is going to make it uh, easier for criminals to get access to weapons. And uh, this bill has now cleared the House and Senate in New Hampshire and is on the governor's desk. Um, his office has not responded to a, a request to uh, comment on whether or not he'll sign it into law. And Democrats in the New Hampshire House tried unsuccessfully yesterday to reintroduce a bill that would add stricter background checks for firearm sales. What happened there? Yeah. So yesterday we saw um, uh, Representative Deborah Altshiller of Stratum, a Democrat, she took to the floor uh, to try and reintroduce gun background check legislation. This is uh, a bill that had been uh, shut down earlier in the year by the GOP. Um, Altshiller really spoke in in um, in visceral terms about stepping over the bodies of dead children and how something needed to be done. Um, she was jeered at by some in the audience. At least one Republican took to the mic and accused her of taking advantage of a tragedy. Uh, you know, but essentially, th- this is the same arguments we hear on both sides on, on a national level as well. Um, with the GOP in control in New Hampshire, you know, this measure and really every measure Democrats have put forward in recent years on the topic of gun control have failed, uh, and that opposition to to, to those provisions stems right to the top. Governor Sununu has has vetoed uh, any efforts to tighten gun laws in New Hampshire in recent years. Okay. Allie, New Hampshire, like most other states across the country, has been seeing a surge in COVID-19 cases, but state data related to COVID testing. It's not the best at this point in the pandemic. What kind of information are state officials missing? Yeah. So, I mean, we have pretty solid hospitalization and death data. And while that data does really show us the kind of most severe impacts of the virus, it's more of a a lagging indicator of the toll the virus is is taking. It doesn't really help us like catch a surge early. And so it's that more predictive data that we're kind of missing right now. Historically, we've really relied on individual test counts, um, which can be used to calculate transmission rates. Um, But that data has been less accurate now that so many people are testing at home and those tests just aren't counted. And is 
the state trying to make up for any of this missing data at all? Does, do they have any strategies to kind of track trends as, as people are doing a lot more home testing? Yeah, they are. I mean, they're really trying to figure out what is a more sustainable way to kind of track this virus, because realistically, counting individual tests just didn't make a lot of sense. And also, you know, there are barriers to accessing testing. People who are asymptomatic may not even realize they have the virus and not test. So it was never really a perfect system to begin with. And so one of the the projects that state officials are working on right now is um, tracking the virus through wastewater. So wastewater surveillance can be used as a really early predictor that the virus is spreading in a community. It doesn't show how many people in a given community have the virus, but it does illustrate changes in levels of COVID-19. Um, and so people, basically people who are infected with COVID shed the virus in their feces. And even if they don't have symptoms, it can be detected in the wastewater. And mm-hmm. so what the state's hoping to do is bring 25 uh, wastewater treatment plants across the state online and, and start measuring wastewater data there. That hasn't quite gotten off the ground yet, but they're they're working on they're it. They're snapshots basically across the state to get a, a general trend, a general idea. Mm-hmm. What do hospitalizations look like right now, Allie? How are hospitals dealing with, with this surge? Yeah. Um, so the, the toll the virus is placing on the health system has kind of been rising since April. It looks like it may be plateauing right now, but it's a little hard to, to tell. And there's a couple of different metrics here when we're talking about hospitalizations. So one, what the, the state is tracking right now is the number of people being kind of actively treated for COVID-19 with certain therapies. That number is in, in the 30s right now. But hospitals say that's really not the full picture of the toll the virus is, is placing on them. So if you look at just how many people are in New Hampshire hospitals with COVID, that number is well over 100. And what hospitals say is, you know, even if someone's not super sick with COVID, say they're, you know, in for a procedure and they actually just happen to have COVID, that's still extra work for hospital staff because they have to, you know, take steps to keep this person maybe isolated. Um, and the other number that hospitals measure, too, is how many people are recovering from the virus. So they might not actively still be testing positive, but... Um, they still need care. They still need yeah. care, right. And this um, takes resources, of course. Exactly. Yeah. It's Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Ellie Pham and Todd Bookman. If you've got some questions for our reporting, our reporters, I should say, and what's going on in the state, you can email us anytime at voices at nhpr.org. I want to turn back to you, Todd. Some school districts in New Hampshire have seen a huge influx of right-to-know requests. You reported this week that many of those requests are related to controversial political and social issues. What kind of information are are people seeking from schools? So so right-to-know requests are themselves subject to -to right-to-knows, meaning, you know, we were able to look through the logs of requests at school districts across the state. And, and what we saw was a, a spike in requests during the, the, the pandemic, really during the past you know, 18 months to two years around issues uh, involving the pandemic. So uh, questions about masking, uh, document requests related to decisions about reopening. Uh, we saw some requests about HVAC systems and that kind of thing. And then uh, we saw more recently more requests to school districts for information about diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts and critical race theory. And Um, you know, document requests related to the word uh, pronoun. And so essentially what you're seeing are hot button issues sort of swirling in the world 
then turn themselves into document requests at school districts uh, across the state. Are, are these mostly parents that are filing these requests, Todd? Who, who, who's looking for these records? Well, well, yes, but not exclusively. Um, certainly, you know, parents show up in these logs, but so do residents who, who may not have kids in the school district. People who live in other school districts will file right to knows. Uh, conservative activists, you know, show up in the logs. Um, what you see are a lot of repeat names in some school districts. So it's the same small number of people filing multiple requests. And and really what this is about is is trust, uh, a decline in trust, a belief that that I believe some have that that schools have become, um, you know, hostile to parents or, or hiding something, um, you know, and the right to know is essentially just a, a symptom of that decline in, in faith. You know, people aren't picking up the phone to ask their local superintendent or administrator, you know, what's going on here. Uh, they're, they're firing off the right to know immediately. Um, Again, and it's sort of rooted in this lack of faith that you're going to get the answers you need without this. I think you're reporting this this week. Had you one of the superintendents on uh, from from one school district said it feels very adversarial, where people would just casually call and ask before, but now it feels very uh, uh, very adversarial. Yeah, definitely antagonistic was the word that superintendent used, and I heard this over and over again from superintendents I I spoke with. you know, sort of a, a sadness. But the, the, the thing to keep in mind is that there's a real um, cost to filing of right to knows. Any government agency knows knows this issue. You know, school districts don't have staff members standing by to handle incoming right to know requests. Mm-hmm. So when someone asks for thousands of pages of documents, uh, months or years worth of email requests, that means a, you know a, a public employee has to go through each page and redact confidential information, and the districts say there is a huge burden there, huge burden of time and money, and you know the districts say you know they will they will allege that they're not hiding anything, um, but because they're legally required to respond to these right to knows in that way, you know they say it's really a distraction and 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 drawing away um, from time they could be spent focusing on on education. Right. Well, there's much more in that re- um, your reporting from this week at NHPR.org. I want to turn back to Ali. Um, Ali, the federal government put special protections in place for people with Medicaid coverage at the beginning of the pandemic. Those protections are going to end at some point. Um, you've been reporting on the impact that will have on people enrolled in the program. How have these protections helped people keep their coverage? Yeah. So basically what these protections have done, the federal government's been giving states extra money and states um, basically just have to keep everyone enrolled. So that means even if people are no longer eligible, say they've gone over um, the income limits, then um, they they stay covered. Mm-hmm. Or if they're missing their forms, they, they stay covered. Well, well, how many people would lose uh, coverage when these protections end? Yeah. So right now, state officials estimate that around 89,000 Granite Staters are currently at risk of of losing their coverage. So pretty significant number there. And that's, you know, kind of two groups of people. There's people who are no longer eligible. Um, Say they got on to Medicaid during the pandemic when they lost their job, but now they've, you know, maybe since found new employment. Um, But then there's a group of people, actually the majority of people who are just missing information. They're missing forms. So are health officials working to minimize some of the the effects that 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 could happen if these these folks are thrown off the roll? Yeah, they're doing a lot of outreach right now. The, one of the first things they did was they sent um, these kind of light pink letters to all families in New Hampshire who um, are are in this group of at risk of losing coverage. Um, they also expanded their call center and hired about 30 new 
new folks and they are calling families that they perceive to be kind of um, especially vulnerable. So that could be families with children um, directly. Um, and they're also working with health centers and mental health providers who may have patients who are in this group. Um, and, you know, that can be a good strategy because these these health centers can actually maybe catch someone when they're coming in for a doctor's appointment, say, and and help them fill out their forms. Right, um, try to outreach, try to get these people. Exactly. Back. And yeah. one of the new things they're doing now is um, these kind of in-person events, and they had their first one um, earlier this month. Okay. Well, we'll be watching more for that. I just want, quickly want to turn back to Todd and, and ask you, Todd, about lawmakers finally reaching agreement on new congressional district maps, which they passed yesterday. Though the governor says he's vetoing it. And just as he promised with every other Republican-backed proposal with this redistricting, what's next when it comes to the state's congressional districts? Right. So we've essentially got an impasse between uh, two branches of government, which means a third branch of government is going to step in. So the Supreme Court has been moving in parallel with their own process to draw a map. Uh, Today, we're expected to get a draft of that map released. Um, This is being drawn by an outside expert. Uh, uh, next Tuesday, the state Supreme Court will hear oral arguments on the map. This map is expected to look very similar to the current congressional maps uh, that are in place in New Hampshire. So Tuesday's oral arguments, and then by all, in all likelihood, we'll have them you know, next the week. court is going to sign off on that Tuesday because on Wednesday, uh, the filing period begins for candidates in the New Hampshire, um, you know, most New Hampshire races, all New Hampshire races, essentially. And so, right. Big uh, implications the, for November. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that. The thank you so much. The deadline is here, yeah. All right. Thank you. NHPR reporters Todd Bookman and Ali Pham, thanks so much for your time this morning. You can find more of their work always at nhpr.org. And we'll be here next Friday with more top headlines. I'm Rick Galley. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. <laughs>